Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. I love sports. Of course, hearing a black American say that, you'd be forgiven for thinking of basketball, football, track and field, and maybe baseball. And I'll see you those, but raise you swimming, tennis, archery, skiing, and many more. As readers of my commentaries on the Summer and Winter Olympic Games will attest. But no sport stands out among my smorgasbord of interests, quite like Formula One racing. Mind you, I readily admit that my initial interest just happened to coincide with the advent of Lewis Hamilton in 2007. You know, just as initial interest in golf for millions coincided with the advent of Tiger Woods in 1996. Except that I am willing to bet that I have published more commentaries on Formula One and golf than any fan anywhere. And it speaks volumes that, with respect to the, uh, former, my very first commentary hailed Hamilton not just as the first black driver to win a race, but as the driver destined to rewrite the record books. About conversations with family and friends prior to writing it made clear that most of them did not know Formula One from Formula 409. And so, in that first commentary, I also explained that Formula One car racing is a sport that requires the steady hands of a surgeon, the daring skill of a jet fighter, and the physical stamina of a marathon runner. Moreover, that no sport can match the sustained thrill and nail-biting suspense of watching those drivers navigate the zigs, zags, and hairpin turns of a Grand Prix racetrack as they jockey for position. No, wait, that's horse racing, which I hate because it is so irredeemably cruel and barbaric. Sport of kings, my ass. Anyway, I should say, as they manoeuvre for position at speeds exceeding 200 miles per hour. I also noted the uncanny similarities in racial background and precocious talent between Woods and Hamilton. In fact, I reasoned that the barons of Hamilton's sport were banking he would do for Formula One what Woods had already done for golf. But I had greater expectations for Hamilton than I ever had for Woods. This is why I ended that first commentary in 2007 by predicting that Hamilton would prove every bit as transcendent a sports figure as Jackie Robinson. Sure enough, Hamilton got off to a roaring start the very next year when he became the youngest ever and first black to win not just one race, but a complete Formula One championship. Unfortunately, just as it was with Robinson, the racist taunts Hamilton had to endure from fellow drivers on pit row soon began echoing as racist jeers from fans in the stands. Of course, this was the fall of 2008. Therefore, notwithstanding analogies to Jackie Robinson, analogies to Barack Obama were unavoidable. Because here too, the symmetry between what Hamilton was experiencing on the racetrack and what Obama was experiencing on the campaign trail was uncanny. 
But, by the same token, I dared to hope that Hamilton's historic win would be a harbinger of Obama's. And so it was. As indicated at the outset, I am acutely aware that I am probably the only black person in America with this degree of interest in Hamilton's trailblazing feats in Formula One racing. No doubt this is why Usain Bolt was the only black celebrity who showed up in Texas to watch him take the checkered flag for his fourth championship in 2017. Uh, by the way, I hope Woods will forgive the way I have used him over the years as a foil to drum up more interest among black Americans, because when it became clear that he no longer had a snowball's chance in hell of eclipsing Jack Nicholas's record of 18 major championships, I began urging my readers to see Hamilton's quest to eclipse Michael Schumacher's record of seven Formula One championships as an equally worthy cause celebre. As it happened, I also began urging Hamilton to learn from Woods's uh, seminal mistake, because we were beginning to see him do openly what we only found out Woods was doing after his wife took a fist to his lip and a golf club to his car one fateful Thanksgiving day in 2009. Woods might have feared that his womanizing could ruin his marriage the way it eventually did but I doubt he feared for a second that it could ruin his career the way it eventually did. It was self-evident from his first year on the PGA Tour that the only golfer who could stop him from rewriting the record books in golf was Woods himself. And sure enough, he did. Like Woods, it was self-evident from his first year on the Formula One circuit that the only driver who could stop him from rewriting the record books in car racing was Hamilton himself. And, despite showing up too often in tabloids as a party boy and front row gawker at fashion shows, Hamilton seems to have avoided that curse of Delilah. Indeed, unlike Woods, he still has his hair, cornrowed down to his shoulders no less. In fact, Hamilton has been racking up championships with such ease that I've been spending more time railing against the US media for not giving him the coverage he deserves. Nothing was more aggravating in this respect than the media giving him no greater coverage after winning his sixth championship here last year than they gave him after winning his fifth in Mexico the year before. Of course, COVID-19 and the US presidential election have dominated all media coverage this year. Therefore, you'd be forgiven for having no clue that he tied Schumacher's Hall of Seven Championships when this year's Formula One season ended in Abu Dhabi on Sunday. Uh, to put this into perspective, Woods was 34 and had 14 majors in 2009, which meant he still needed four more to tie Nicholas's Hall of 18 or five to rewrite the record books, whereas Hamilton is now 34 and has seven championships, which means he needs only one more to rewrite the record books. What's more, it seemed entirely credible when he himself said recently that his career has yet to reach its peak. And at the risk of getting too deep in the uh, woods, 
<laughs> you should know that PGA golfers have four chances each year to rack up their majors, whereas Formula One drivers have only one chance to rack up their championships. But I cannot overstate this unfolding symmetry. Woods won 14 majors in his first 11 years on the PGA Tour, but he has won only one major in his last 12 years. This is why he no longer stands as Snowball's chance in hell of dethroning Nicholas, especially now at the relatively old age of 44, whereas Hamilton won seven championships in his first 12 years on the Formula One circuit. And everyone is even more certain that he will win one more to dethrone Schumacher than they ever were that Tiger would dethrone Nicholas. In fact, this certainty is such that the whole English establishment began lobbying midway through this Formula One season for the Queen to bestow a knighthood upon Hamilton as part of her annual New Year's honours. For his part, he made clear that he would regard the Queen knighting him as an even greater honour than him dethroning Schumacher. Alas, this, just when I thought he would complete his own crowning achievement without any blemish on his record, and so I am obliged to share this lamentation. It is common knowledge that capricious and often venal criteria determine recipients of the Queen's honours. Therefore, there is no denying that Hamilton is far more deserving than most who have been knighted. I need only refer you in this context to block commentaries like, Pardon me, sir, but how much did you pay for your knighthood? <laughs> On July 14, 2006, and Sir Bex and Lady Posh, <laughs> God help the British. On November 14, 2013. The problem is that this lobbying seems every bit as cocksure and premature as raising your hands in victory with one lap to go. Even worse, though, is the contradiction inherent in this Standard Bureau of Black Lives Matter protests kneeling before the Standard Bureau of the whitest of all white establishments to receive her fairy tale recognition of his meritorious achievements. To be sure, I have a long and well-documented record of opposing royalty and all its appurtenances. This because I regard them as pretentious relics of an institution that is anathema to the fundamental principle of democracy, namely that all people are created equal. I need only refer you in this context to a recent podcast episode titled Dissing British Monarchy to Mourn American Democracy. But I can also cite many prominent Britons who did not lobby to be knighted. Instead, they made clear that they would regard any such honour as, well, be knighted. This honours list includes such high achievers as George Bernard Shaw, David Bowie, John Lennon, Vanessa Redgrave, John Cleese, Stephen Hawking, Aldous Huxley, and John Le Carré, whom I eulogised in a blog post on Thursday. Of course, you might think it's unfair to expect Hamilton to reject an honour 
that is relatively easy for a few privileged white folks to reject. This is why you and he might find instructive the reaction of black British poet Benjamin Zephaniah, whose anti-establishment dreadlocks actually fall below his shoulders. Because here is what he said when he got word that Buckingham Palace was considering him for a queen's honour. And I quote, Me, I thought. O-B-E, me? Ha, up yours, I thought. I get angry when I hear that word, empire. It reminds me of slavery. It reminds me of thousands of years of brutality. It reminds me of how my foremothers were raped and my forefathers brutalized. End quote. Graphic, but true and compelling. And so I won't be as big a fan if Hamilton ignores all that to accept a knighthood, which of course is the most pretentious of all OBEs, aka Orders of the British Empire. Jackie Robinson was drafted into the US military and he did his duty, but he still set an example for conscientious objectors like Colin Kaepernick. This by making it clear that because of institutional racism, he could not stand and sing the national anthem, nor salute the American flag. So when it comes to accepting a knighthood, Hamilton would do well to ask, what would Jackie do? Uh, that's it. And if you liked it, please subscribe. It's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.